John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly, and my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 96 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler, and we are bravely broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him, and unlike the corporate media... We here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted, and at least so far, have not been censored. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. In episode number 95, which dealt almost entirely with the reaction to the emerging coronavirus crisis, I told you that over the next five, six, seven days, the numbers here in the United States were going to get much, much worse, and that the panic would also get much, much worse. Well, we now know that turned out to be correct. Uh, and almost exactly correct. If you go back to uh, episode number 95, not that I expect you to do so, but if you did, uh, you would hear that I said that the number of cases in the United States was going to surge to at least 20, 25,000, maybe more than that. And as of this morning, that number is now at 27,000 out of 330 million people. It's important to keep that into context, but that's confirmed cases. Obviously, the real number is probably much more than that as testing now increases. And a large part of the reason that number has exploded over the last couple of days and likely will continue to explode in the forthcoming couple of days is that New York has done an enormous amount of testing and their number has ballooned. They now have 12,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus out of the 27,000. In fact, 
17,000 of the 27,000 here in the United States come from four states. New York, by far, has the most cases. And then California, Washington State, and New Jersey all have pretty much the same number of cases, just above 1,000 each. That's really a remarkable number. And you know, as a statistics guy, uh, and here living in California, I've been a bit bemused and befuddled as to why California is being considered a quote-unquote hot spot for this, when from a per capita basis, California is actually at the lower end of the spectrum. It's just that we have by far the largest population, almost 40 million people. This really right now is a one-state crisis with Washington and New Jersey also in near-crisis situations. There is no current crisis elsewhere in the country, depending on how you define crisis. That does not, underlying not, mean this should not be taken seriously, all precautions should not be taken, uh, that uh, we, we should obviously be engaging in social distancing, uh, educating people as to how to take precautions, canceling major spectator events, I, I am perfectly fine with all of that. Uh, however, it is important to point out when shifting, sifting between fact and fiction and trying to keep our heads on straight that right now this is a fairly localized crisis. And it might be still, underlined might be, mostly a crisis of data. Both bad, the fact that we have bad data and the fact that the data is now exploding in a lag period, that these what we're now learning is what happened two or three weeks ago, because of the nature of the lag a time between you the time you get the virus to the time that you get tested to the time when the test comes back out to the time uh, for that be, to become a statistic, and especially if you happen to end up dying, because when it comes to the ultimate statistic, the United States is still doing pretty darn well, but not as well as we have been doing. And that number is also going to explode, uh, relatively speaking. We are currently in the 350 range of deaths based upon some pretty rudimentary calculations. And it's a little weird how they determine what uh, deaths or what new cases uh, are attributed to which particular day because done by Greenwich Mean Time, which I think means that the day actually ends and begins at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. So that gets very confusing. But but for what they're going to count as March 22nd, which is the day in which we're doing this podcast, by all accounts, it appears as if we're going to have more deaths in the United States because of coronavirus than we've ever had before. And it might be much more, which is interesting and obviously depressing on a number of levels because it had actually that number on a daily basis had gone down slightly the previous two days not significantly but at the very least it had not been going up and now it does appear depending on what happens for the next few hours that it will go up we don't know by how much but in relative terms 350 deaths uh, in a country of 330 million people is minuscule That is a minuscule number, especially when we're talking mostly here, almost exclusively, about people who are elderly and or have underlying health problems. That does not mean we don't take it seriously. It does not mean it's not a tragedy. I'm looking for some semblance of perspective and proportion here, which has been completely and totally lost. And we're calling this episode 
the title of it, regardless of reality, the coronavirus alarmists have won. And, uh, and there's no question that that's the case, that the coronavirus alarmists have indeed won. And it doesn't matter now what the reality is. It doesn't matter what happens from here on out. The alarmists have won in every possible way, and this will always be perceived, even if we get the best possible scenario from, from this day forward, which is highly unlikely, uh, just based upon where the statistics are going. But even if that were to happen, there is now no way for the coronavirus alarmists to have ever been be perceived going forward as having been wrong or as having lost. They won now. And they won, we'll see about the reality. Again, this is the important context of that statement. It doesn't matter what the reality is. The coronavirus alarmists have won because now everyone who matters is invested in that narrative. Everyone who matters. The news media, the Democrats, the Republicans, because of Donald Trump's dramatic pivot, uh, you know, people who are just generally alarmist and understandably want to protect uh, their own lives, their own families, and they're, they're the, you know, have the state protect us crowd. All those people are now deeply, deeply invested in this narrative that this is the worst thing that has ever happened, and uh, it is a massive catastrophe, and that we needed to do absolutely, positively everything we could, regardless, regardless of how effective it might be, to combat the virus. And anyone who is not in favor of that is therefore in favor of the virus. Correct. Which is insane. Correct. Because no one's in favor of the virus. That's that's absurd. But that's how it's being portrayed. And that's how the narrative is set. And what really set the narrative in the last couple of days, of course, is that we now have an explosion of numbers in New York. And specifically in New York City. And what happens in New York is what sets the narrative throughout the nation. Because if it's big in New York, that means it's big in the news media. We have the, the first member of the news media to die, a tragic death. A guy who, um, a former Today Show host from NBC, Matt Lauer, who I've gotten to know very well, was, was very close to, an NBC technician uh, with whom he had traveled around the world. Uh, he died five days after testing positive for this tragic situation, has two sons, great guy, uh, was, he did have underlying health issues, and that was clearly part of why he was vulnerable to this. But now that this is a huge New York story, and, uh, and what happens in New York gets magnified at least 10 or 100 times, then uh, now this is set. There's no reversing course now. This is the catastrophe of our time, regardless of what the numbers end up showing, regardless of how many people end up dying or not dying, regardless of what the previous precedents were, the previous standards were. You know, I've used the swine flu several times that, uh, that you know, 12,500 people died in 2010 because of the swine flu. 60 million people had it. 275,000 people were hospitalized. And, uh, and no one seemed to care. The media didn't care. Nothing got canceled. And, and that's just the way it all went down. Uh, and that was acceptable because we have approximately 40, 50, sometimes more 
more than that, thousand people a year die in this country because of the flu. And while this is not exactly the flu, the symptoms are very similar. It's at least in the same ballpark of the flu. And so it is reasonable to compare it for historical standards as to what a health related crisis or catastrophe would be there's there's certain there's clearly no indication we're gonna get to historical catastrophe yet we could we absolutely could it all a lot of it depends on what happens with these stats in the next two to three weeks but there, there's a good strong argument to be made we're not going to get there and we're probably not going to get anywhere close but it doesn't matter now Reality no longer matters. I've seen this in other stories. This is where we're headed. This is going to be perceived as forever and ever the great catastrophe. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We've talked about previously, and I'm sure we'll talk about again in future episodes. But that's where we are. The narrative has been set. Everyone that matters, including President Trump, is now invested in this being a complete and total disaster. And economically, it's going to be. We know that for sure. We, we don't know the full extent of it, but it is going to be an economic catastrophe. Uh, I'm not convinced yet 100% that it's still going to be a medical health situation catastrophe for, of historical proportions. Look, it's impossible in this politically correct world to be on the side uh, uh, that is perceived as uh, somehow being okay with people dying. Nobody's okay with people dying. That's absurd. But that's part of life. And we've now lost that. We've lost all proportion. We've lost all perspective. And part of why we have become scared out of our minds in this country is because of Italy. Italy is driving so very much of this narrative. The Italian numbers are horrific. Uh, They now currently have 54,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. They now have more deaths, almost 5,000. It might even be 5,000 by this time that I'm speaking into this microphone taping this podcast. But they have 5,000 deaths, which is more than even China had. And China obviously is a much, much, much more populated and larger country than Italy is. And so the situation in Italy has scared the bejesus, understandably so, out of everybody. However, there are certain elements of the Italian situation that I believe are not getting enough attention that show uh, that there's some mitigating factors here, or at least there's some factors that should provide some perspective and ought to calm people down at least a little bit. The first is that there was a study out this week, and this has been uh, confirmed by my very close looking at the statistics, which I've done on an almost hourly basis, if not more so, uh, on, on these various websites, that only 1%, only 1% of those who have died in Italy have been in the quote-unquote young or healthy range. 99% have been elderly and or had underlying health conditions. 99%. Now, people hear that and they go, oh, John, are you saying that, that elderly people's lives don't have as much value? No. I'm saying that the nature of life is that we will all die and we have to die of something and that these were people who were in all likelihood going to be dying soon anyway. That sounds incredibly cold, but that's reality. I mean, I thought it was built into the way we looked at things that we understood that when young, healthy people died, it's inherently more tragic 
and more of a loss than when older, unhealthy people died. I mean, just using here in California, the understandable uh, you know, outpouring of emotions that occurred because of Kobe Bryant's helicopter going down, killing nine people, all of whom were young, healthy, in the prime of life with three young girls. People were incredibly upset about that, and understandably so, because it was a tragedy, but partially because of the the health and age of those that were on board. I mean, we see this all the time where if a celebrity happens to die in their 90s, no one seems to even care because, well, they lived to be in their 90s. Oh, that's sad. We hadn't heard from them in a while, and that's just the way it goes. So I'm not suggesting that the lives of these Italians don't matter. It's just that this is part of the the circle of life. And this is just what facilitated it. And the numbers are still within the the bounds of historical normalcy. Now, it's going to grow. No, Make no mistake. Uh, looking at the numbers as I have, Italy's going to have a lot more death in the, last, in the next few days and weeks. No question about it. They, they're, they're heading for at least over 10,000 deaths uh, unless something really dramatic happens. And who knows when it stops. And the lack of knowledge, the fear of the unknown about when this stops is, is also driving a huge part of the fear and the panic. And understandably so, because people see the chart. It keeps going up. I thought for for a couple of days that Italy had had stabilized, it, and then all of a sudden it shot up in the last few days. And the statistics here are very, very frightening. But even those statistics might be a bit off, and and part of why they might be a bit off, I just learned this morning. Apparently, only twelve percent of the people who have died in Italy have died under uh, the the statistics that Italy is putting out, have died because, directly because of the coronavirus. 12%. The other 88% have died with the coronavirus. Now, obviously that means that coronavirus could have been a major contributing factor, and I'm not mitigating the fact that uh, they had coronavirus and they died, but in 88% of the cases, there was apparently something else that also facilitated their death. And and so I, we're dealing with a very old population in Italy, a population of smokers. By the way, there's another element of Italy that it is not getting any attention, and I'm just purely spitballing and speculating. I don't know if you're still allowed to do that in America uh, where we used to have free speech, but everyone's being censored now. So I don't even know if you're allowed to throw out, uh, hey, what about this? But it should be noted that Italy is about as homogeneous a population from a genetic standpoint as you're going to get in this day and age. It is, it is theoretically possible that there's a genetic explanation for what's going on in Italy. Uh, there's also uh, the possibility that there's a different strand of the coronavirus in Italy than there is other places in in the world, and specifically here in the United States. I'm not throwing that just uh, you know out of the blue. I, I was in on a conference call, which I'll get to shortly, involving medical officials and political officials in my county here in Southern California, and a medical a top medical official said exactly that that they believe that there are two strands of the coronavirus, and that we here, at least in California, ha- have the less 
the the less destructive strand of the coronavirus. So there are all sorts of possible explanations. There's the the nature of uh, Italy's geography and the fact that they have lots of cities that are very condensed, uh, separated then by lots of land, especially on the sea. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons to to think that Italy might be different, including, as I just mentioned, the the way that the statistics. Are, are being compiled. And a lot of what's driving this, this is what's amazing about this whole thing of so many elements that are amazing, is the, the role that data and statistics are playing. Uh, because And, and we, we don't have reliable, solid, consistently accumulated data. And without that, how the heck can we possibly be making rational decisions? And rationality has completely gone out the window. Panic has completely controlled now everything uh, to the point where we are shutting more and more of life down throughout the country, almost regardless of what the situation uh, is in the specific area where the decisions are being made. And here in California is a classic example of that. Here in California, our governor a couple of days ago ordered uh, essentially everyone to be uh, sheltered in their houses. Now, this is a, a voluntary order, but because of the nature of the state and the hysteria, the governor, who, who had no uh, legislative backing on this, this was just simply an edict from a king, uh, his edict is being followed and enforced uh, by almost everybody locally, both by social pressure and by local municipalities uh, doing things as absurd as closing the local park uh, across from where I live. Even though where I live has almost no cases of the coronavirus, is in a county with almost no cases of the coronavirus. As of last night, they, we have 26 cases in the entire county with zero deaths, and they're shutting down the playgrounds. I can't take my daughters uh, on the swing set across the street because that somehow uh, would be uh, dangerous to spreading coronavirus. Uh, I mean, that's a level of hysteria, and I'm not suggesting that's the most important thing in the world at all. The far more important thing is that businesses are being shut down. Businesses are being shut down everywhere. Uh, Many times in a needless situation, it is nonsensical as to which businesses are being allowed to stay open and which are not, which are considered essential and which are not. The only reason why we're able to continue doing this podcast right now is that media outlets are considered essential, which is under understandable, uh, but these restrictions keep getting tighter and tighter. And the basis for this statewide shutdown, let's be clear, California, by far the largest state in the nation, almost 40 million people, is now being shut down for a month, for a month at a time when they had, or we had 1,000, 1,000 confirmed cases statewide. In a state of 40 million people. It's just flat out ridiculous. And the explanation or the justification that Gavin Newsom, our governor, gave was that his projections, the projections he's being given, indicated that 56% of the state would get coronavirus or have coronavirus within the next eight weeks 56 percent that's well over 20 million people 
20 million people in the next eight weeks. You cannot be serious. This the worldwide when he made that statement. Worldwide, including China where this began. Worldwide, there had only been 260,000 confirmed cases in the world. Now, I realize the number's much higher than that because we haven't had enough testing. But you know what? Part of what makes me very confused and frustrated and skeptical, at least to some degree, about all of this is that nothing about the narrative we're being given makes any sense. Let me give you a perfect example. So Governor Newsom makes this extraordinary, unprecedented, the most impactful action a governor has ever taken in the history of the United States of America to shut down the largest state in the country with 40 million people. He does this based upon this statistic. This statistic, which was intended to scare the crap out of people. Now, I've written a column about how absurd this statistic is. You can find it at our Twitter feed, which is at individual, the number one pod. And I hope you'll take a look at it because it is it is obvious when you look at the numbers that what Gavin Newsom and the other alarmists have done have said, okay, uh, here's what's going to happen. The increase in cases will uh, will rise at a rate of approximately 20% per day and that that will go unabated for 56 days. Now who knows what the hell happens after 56 days and it's interesting because it his number changed. I don't know if it's because when he decided to to end the 56 days or or what have you maybe he added a day, but uh he somehow told Donald Trump uh, that uh, 25 million Californians will end up getting this in the next eight weeks. That's way more than 56%. Way more than 56%. So it's hard to even tell for sure what numbers he's using, but it's obvious that to get to anywhere close to that number, you need a t- ex- exponentially increasing 20% uh, rise in the number of cases on a daily basis. In other words, each day it increases by 20%. Now, it is currently rising at 20%. I even say in the column that number is probably going to go above 20% because of the increase in testing in the short run. In the short run. Plus, we're still testing people that got this before we shut everything down and there was the social distancing and washing your hands and and all the other things that that, that obviously now everybody in the in the world knows to do to try to take proper precautions here. So the numbers are going to go up by more than 20% in the short run. But but what people don't understand and what the media didn't bother to check and what the the media just sat there and go, oh, okay, wow, that's terrible. Uh, we need dramatic action. And of course, he, he announces this 56% uh, number just hours before the shutdown. So it's obvious that that was the motivation. He's looking for something on which to pin a state shutdown. He decides he wants to do a state shutdown, so now he needs to justify it. So he comes up with this 56% number. Well, the the flaw in the 56% number is that almost all of that 22, 23 million number, which is what you need in California to get to 56%, almost all of that comes in week seven and eight. All of it comes in week seven and eight. 20 million of it comes in week seven and eight. 
he could have just as, as accurately said, based upon his own projections, that in six weeks, about 5% of California will get the coronavirus. Huge number, but nowhere near enough to scare people enough to be able to justify a statewide shutdown for a month. For a month. So, so that's not going to cut it. So he decides to extrapolate for another two weeks. Well, all of this is based upon the idea that somehow these numbers are not impacted by human behavior. These numbers are not impacted by the weather. These numbers are not impacted by people dying. These numbers are not impacted by some sort of uh, uh, of a drug breakthrough. Or uh, this, this, I mean, this is there's no isolation. The people who have it are not isolating themselves at all. Uh, they, they, they were somehow completely oblivious to the virus even existing and the people who have it are breathing all over people who don't as if nothing has happened that's what the that, that's the presumption you need to get to 56 percent and there's no way there's in fact if we get to 56 percent or anywhere near there gavin newsom is to blame because only a completely incompetent governor would allow that to happen there is no chance of that but it's being used to scare the daylights out of everybody and once that edict is sent down especially in a in a super liberal wussy state like here in california Everybody implements it because you can't, oh, you're in favor of the virus if you're, if you're against the governor's stay-at-home order. You're not flattening the curb. And let me tell you, the social pressure is enormous, and it has a massive impact because the people making the decisions at the local level are, are easily impacted by this. Even my wife, my one-person focus group, who goes back and forth between thinking we're all going to die and this is all a bunch of baloney, uh, is afraid to go across the street to the park because she doesn't want to get yelled at by the neighbors. That's how people make actual decisions. And my wife is not someone who would normally be influenced by this kind of stuff. But, uh, it, but we're seeing it in all semblance of life here and it's not just california it feels to me very much like gavin newsom was like me too I, I, me too this there's a lot of me too aspects to what's going on here psychologically i think he's almost jealous that new york has a much bigger problem than california does and of course he's in a no-lose situation if he shuts everything down and we don't have a catastrophe guess what he's a genius he saved the world if we do have a catastrophe see i was right See, I did the right thing. Uh, I tried to do my best, but it was just too late because I'm sure he'll blame it on the federal government. And by the way, it's, it's, it's especially since this is the Individual One podcast, which is supposed to be focused on Donald Trump, I do find it absolutely hilarious that Donald Trump and Gavin Newsom have now become best buddies. If no, for no other reason, I mean, one, Newsom is as liberal as it gets, as it, and, and so, by the way, is Donald Trump. Well, I'm going to get to how Donald Trump has turned into someone who's left of Bernie Sanders here in a few minutes. But, uh, but you have uh, Gavin Newsom, super progressive, socialist, now fascist, uh, liberal, who is now best buddies with Donald Trump. By the way, and this hardly ever gets mentioned, I find this hilarious, but, uh, Gavin Newsom used to be married to the woman who is now Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance. I mean, imagine the conversations Donald Trump and Gavin Newsom have. I mean, this is a guy who was married to his favorite son's fiance. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is just so bizarre. But uh, so, so Gavin Newsom, to me, 
feels as if he's almost jealous of New York. Now, New York, based upon the stats, has a much more serious problem. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to mitigate the problem or saying that we shouldn't do everything reasonable we can to fight it. But we have lost all sense of proportion. We have lost all sense uh, uh, of even being allowed to discuss whether or not we're overreacting. And that gets me very, very nervous. That gets me very, very nervous. And I, I, I want to mention, speaking of California, and since I referenced it earlier, this conference call. I was on this conference call with people here in Ventura County, which is just north of Los Angeles. And on the conference call, it was almost surreal because, of course, we're in this state of emergency. The governor has just shut down the state and all these people have nothing to talk about. They have nothing to talk about except what might happen in the future because they had done 519 tests and there have been 19 positives. 519 tests, 19 positives. There are now 26 positives. That is I don't know how many more tests were done to get to the 26 positives. No deaths as of yet. That is a minuscule rate. And that to me shows, by the way, that part of, uh, to the extent that we have uh, hospitals being overrun, they're being overrun with people who think they have this because of the hysteria, but don't actually have it. That there's, a, there's an element of hypochondria going on here. And by the way, those statistics have... Uh, been duplicated elsewhere. South Korea had almost exactly the same minuscule rate. South Korea did the best job of anybody in testing here, and that's why they apparently have escaped uh, a catastrophe. Uh, um, and that had actually given me hope at the time. Why we're not yet uh, following them statistically and why Italy is definitely not is, is a bit of a mystery to me, uh, especially since Italy has shut down the country now for about two or three weeks. If Italy doesn't improve one of the things the Italy situation should at least show us is that uh, shutting down doesn't necessarily solve anything. But we'll get to that when and if that happens. But this conference call was so strange because you've got this minuscule number of cases in a, in a county of 900,000 people. Uh, you have no deaths. You have no indication of a rush on the hospitals. And I... I happen to uh, know somebody who is uh, in the area south of Los Angeles who's very uh, connected in this realm, has access to data. There's no evidence of a run on the hospitals in that area of California. Uh, I've seen no credible stories of runs on hospitals anywhere uh, in California, at least uh, as of this morning. Uh, And that indicates to me that there's not much in the pipeline here. Now, why that is, I don't know. I mean, there are some people who are convinced that here in California, we already had this, that there are people who really, truly believe that they had this months ago, and they have reason to believe it because they had connections to people who had come here from China. Uh, now, I don't know. That's just a, a theory. People tend to want to be part of a story like this. They, they're seeing everything through a, a, a jaundiced prism now. So who knows what the reality is? But for whatever reason, we are not seeing yet, and hopefully won't, the level uh, of catastrophe here in California. Elsewhere, who knows? I, I mean, I am, I am as concerned as anybody that uh, th- th- this trend is going to continue. The next week or two is going to continue to be horrible. The panic is, is going to continue to get worse and worse because we've now, Katie barred the door. There's no stopping anybody because now the the premise has been set, the foundation has been set, it has been accepted that 
anything that doesn't go as far as humanly possible to theoretically stop the virus is somehow being in favor of the virus. And that's just... It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's where we are. And that's why we're entitling this, regardless of the reality, the coronavirus alarmists have won. They have absolutely won. And they're already protecting themselves for any possible scenario, including the one where we don't have a massive historical catastrophe. This clip I'm about to play for you, I found to be absolutely astonishing. It's from Illinois. It is a spokesperson, I guess, acting as a spokesperson for the state of Illinois, a woman by the name of Dr. Emily Landon. She's from the University of Chicago uh, Medical uh, Center or school there. And uh, she's trying to explain to the public there in Illinois uh, why uh, we need to shut down. But we also need to understand that if we don't have a disaster that this is actually because we did the right thing. And listen, to and the, what really struck me about this is not just the preemptive butt covering in case there is not a catastrophe, but it's also the overt nanny state element of this. That this is, I mean, you could not parody the concept of the nanny state, come to mama and enjoy the, the embrace of soft fascism. Uh, let us, the government, protect you and don't question anything we're telling you to do. And even though it might seem like it's an overreaction, no, 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 we're taking away your right to a life for your own good. Uh, listen to this uh, condescension. These extreme restrictions may seem, in the end, a little anticlimactic. Because it's really hard to feel like you're saving the world when you're watching Netflix from your couch. But if we do this right, nothing happens. Yeah. A successful shelter in place means that you're going to feel like it was all for nothing. And you'd be right. Because nothing means that nothing happened to your family. And that's what we're going for here. To me, that is just chilling. That is chilling because based upon that premise, think about what the future holds. The state can now shut down life and be applauded even if it turns out to not be for anything really that significant. Now, look, I've already acknowledged that's, that narrative is not going to be allowed to win the day regardless of reality regardless of where we go from here. That narrative is not going to hold because everybody who matters, everybody in power is completely and totally invested in pretending, regardless of what the reality is, that this is the worst thing that has ever happened, including President Trump. But my God, the precedents that are being set for the future are mind-blowing and scary. And it's not just in the realm of what the state is willing and able to do in order to protect your best interest. And we're all just going along like sheep going, bah, bah, lead us to the slaughter. My gosh. I mean, it's, it's just astonishing in a country that was supposedly uh, built on the concept of freedom and liberty. We are so far from that now that it is, it is truly scary. But also, it's in the realm of free speech. There was a column yesterday on Medium, which is a website that basically prides itself on publishing almost anything. 
written by a guy by the name of Aaron Ginn called Evidence Over Hysteria. And it was all about the evidence as we currently have it and what he believes is an overreaction and hysterical overreaction. And it's very substantive. It's very well cited. You could argue with the premise of it. You could argue with the conclusions. It's his opinion. And it went essentially viral. It had apparently well over 2 million views yesterday. And uh, then Medium took it down. Medium took it down. You cannot be serious! And the reason why they took it down, although they never gave a specific example or, or a specific explanation, essentially is that it became too popular. Because it became too popular, imagine this. Because it became too popular, the alarmists were threatened by it. And the alarmists saw it and decided, we need to destroy this. And how did they destroy it? Well, this guy, again, he's a Republican. He's a Republican operative. He writes for Breitbart. And so, therefore, he's one of the anti-science crowd. And uh, we cannot be giving him a platform. And he's not allowed to write. He's not allowed to give his opinion. And we're going to shut it down. And so it got taken off a of median. It got put back up on another website, a website which, and I don't know whether or not this is connected or not, but now that entire website has been shut down by Twitter. Any links from that website on her are automatically shown to be in error. In error. It's just flat out ridiculous. This is incredibly frightening. Incredible. And, and by the way, there have been numerous articles, even in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and some other places from respected people saying essentially the same thing. That hold on a second. Are we going too far here? Are, are, are we doing things out of hysteria and panic that aren't actually going to help anything and that are going to destroy uh, they're going to destroy lives, they're going to destroy dreams, they're going to destroy economies, and they're going to set horrendous precedents in the future. Part of Gavin Newsom's edict that we shut down for a month that I find to be most offensive is that it completely disregards not just the economic impact of this, which will be catastrophic, but the mental health aspects, the uh, the level of alcoholism. My God, I've already con started consuming a heck of a lot more alcohol. I can assure you that. And we're only a few days into this thing. Uh, the, there's going to be more domestic abuse. There's going to be more suicide. There's going to be more murder. There's going to be all sorts of, of unintended consequences of this that don't even get considered. It's not even part of the equation. And uh, and and here we and, and getting back to the the median uh, censorship, I always get agita whenever this happens. But in a case like this, where there is clearly another side, we don't know whether the other side is right or not. I don't know whether or not I, my inclinations, my instincts are right here that this is an overreaction or not. I could be absolutely wrong, and I'll be the first person to admit it. My God, I hope I'm not wrong, simply because that would mean that we are in the midst of a medical catastrophe. But, but, but I could be wrong, but there's a legitimate other side of this, and whenever there's a legitimate other side that is being shut down and censored, I immediately think, wait a minute. That only happens if the side that's in the majority, the side that's, uh, that is being run by the mob, is insecure about their position, and they're not really sure they're right. And that's the only reason why they would censor the other side. You only censor the other side when you think they might be right. 
But when you know they're wrong, when it's obviously ridiculous, you let them have their say, you ignore them. And I realize that some people are trying to justify this this censorship by it's too dangerous because it's having people not be diligent. Really? Come on. There's no indication that people are not being diligent. Uh, that That's just absurd. People are being diligent. Now, are they, are they shutting down their entire lives because of this? Uh, some of them are not, but we're being forced to here in California. And, and, and I guarantee you that because some people have tried to live a semblance of a life, Gavin Newsom and the local officials are going to ca- crack down harder on us. They're going to, because we didn't learn our lesson. They're going to punish us further because we actually dared to have a semblance of a life and go outside or, or play golf on a private golf course, which is taking extraordinary precautions in order to not be spreading the virus. That's all going to happen because the other side must win this because if they lose, if, they're, if they, it turns out they were wrong, they've lost all credibility for all time. This is now a war on multiple levels, on multiple fronts. And, uh, and what's amazing to me and most frustrating to me is that even Donald Trump has now embraced this. Donald, that's part of why I know the alarmists have won. Trump for his own political survival, is embracing the hysteria. He is embracing the idea that this is the worst thing that has ever happened. In fact, he even said that in his press conference yesterday. This, the world has never seen anything like this before. That's, that's not true. Uh, it's not close to true. Uh, it's not even close in America. I, I mean, everyone knows about the 1918 flu. We are in no way, shape, or form headed for that. Our, our medical advances are light years ahead of where that was. Our, our ability to inform and warn people is light years ahead of where that was. Uh, there, there, is, there is no rational comparison right now between uh, what happened then and what is in the process of happening now. But Trump has embraced it completely. He has embraced it completely. And what's almost funny about that is that he has hung out to dry a lot of his own allies. Because back when he was still pretending that this was not a big deal, and in my view, underplaying this, I do believe he underplayed this. Uh, he, he wanted to pretend this was not going to happen here in America at all. He didn't want anything, uh, putting any hurdles in his reelection. Uh, chances. He didn't want anything harming the economy. Uh, so he pretended that this was not going to happen here. So he absolutely underreacted. Now he's fully embracing the, that this is the worst thing ever because now it makes him a wartime president. And he, in doing so, he has hung his own allies at Fox News Channel out to dry. Uh, here is a, a clip that uh, the Washington Post put together, and because it's audio, it's going to be a l- maybe a little bit more difficult to understand. But what you're about to hear is several different Fox News personalities, uh, and what you're going to hear first is what they said back when Trump was downplaying this compared to what they're now saying, now that Trump is embracing this as the worst thing that's ever happened. It's going to start with uh, an anchorwoman named Trish Regan, who has now apparently had her show suspended because of her original comments, uh, saying essentially that this whole thing is a hoax. But here is a a, a viral clip of Fox News uh, Channel personalities, hosts, commentators, first back when Trump was downplaying this, and now uh, today or near today when Trump is saying that this uh, coronavirus situation is the worst thing that's ever happened. 
This is yet another attempt to impeach the president. And sadly, it seems they care very little for any of the destruction they are leaving in their wake. We must test for the virus in order to stop the spread of it. What could be a very great recession, some predicting even a depression. At worst, worst case scenario, it could be the flu. I feel like the more I learn about this, the less there is to worry about. I was about to say the same thing. We don't have immunity to this virus. It's a new virus. It's a pandemic strain of a virus we haven't seen before. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more deadly doesn't reflect reality. Without a vaccine, the flu would be far more deadly. We are facing an incredibly contagious and dangerous virus that is moving across the world from one hotspot to another. We're going to call out anyone and everyone who's using this virus as a political weapon against the president. The standard flu every single year kills tens of thousands of Americans. We are now entering what will be the crucial defining 15-day period as it, as it relates to this virus, where we must slow the spread of coronavirus. It's actually the safest time to fly. Everyone I know that's flying right now, terminals are pretty much dead. We have a responsibility to slow down this virus and to think of other people during this time. And so if you can keep your distance and prevent someone from getting close to you that might be sick, you could save yeah. your family, you can save the elderly and help our country as a nation. It is absolutely disgusting that Democrats are seeking to use this complex virus to score cheap political points. This dangerous health crisis could dovetail quickly into a political crisis, already feeling economic ramifications of it all. So obviously the hypocrisy is self-evident. I I think it's being misinterpreted. Most people are using that uh, clip as, aha, what a bunch of frauds Fox News hosts are. They are a bunch of frauds. But it's because they are following the orders of their king. They are state-run media, and they misread where the king was going. The king pivoted because the king knew that was his only potential path to survival. And we have seen this uh, on a continuing and and, uh, and increasing basis in these daily press briefings that Donald Trump has been giving along with uh, his top advisors uh, regarding the coronavirus task force. The, these, these press briefings have been fascinating from a psychological perspective. Trump has been all over the place, all over the place, sometimes by a minute to minute basis in his statements correct uh, it's the worst thing the world has ever seen but we're going to get through this fast and we're going to come back super fast and uh, and you know he's still making statements from time to time that this is not going to be all that big of a deal it's schizophrenic uh, at times it's classic trump now what's somewhat fascinating to me is this is the one time that i've been somewhat comforted when trump is trumpy because if trump was not being trumpy then i would be really scared if donald trump has been been uh, uh essentially neutered to the extent where he curls up into the fetal position then i know we're all really screwed uh, because if, if you destroy even donald trump's ego and his willingness uh, to be optimistic then wow we're in big trouble so i've been willing to give a pass to his normal trumpiness because i've seen it as at least some semblance of a good sign or some sign of hope but there are certain areas where he is going way overboard on the optimism and that and one that's gotten a lot of attention is his apparent belief that we have found a a drug combination that will combat coronavirus 
And uh, he has been for days promoting the idea that that the combination of two drugs, one of them is a malaria drug, uh, will somehow be our saving grace here. He even yesterday uh, said that we should pray to God that this ends up being what saves us. Of course, that conversation between Trump and God uh, would be awfully interesting. Uh, I'm sure that they have not talked much in the past. My guess is that God would respond, who dis, uh, when Trump uh, first uh, tries to contact him. And then uh, I'm sure God's going to ask him about the last time Trump read two Corinthians uh, and all sorts of other uh, very interesting elements of what that conversation must be like. But, uh, But Trump has been promoting this idea and his his top medical doctor, Dr. Fauci, has been trying his very best to downplay this. Now, part of that's the nature of being a doctor who believes in clinical trials and making sure you're 100% certain. And Trump is obviously a politician looking for a miracle in a moment of crisis to try to save the day. So their they're self-interests are very different. Their worlds are very, very different. Uh, and so I kind of understand where both of them are coming from. But here's why I don't trust Trump on this idea that there's going to be a miracle medical solution for this in the next uh, few days or weeks. It's not just because he's a pathological liar and because he doesn't know what he's talking about. It has to do with his view of life and of the world. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump thinks that somehow, whether it's because of God or because of luck or because of magic, that things always, always work out for him. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. And when he said that, that was actually a clip from Saturday Night Live, uh, I I believe he meant it. And I believe that he meant it largely because one of the seminal moments in his life was when he went bankrupt and all the banks he owed money to sat him down in a room. And and this has been well documented, but I have a connection to this because my father's company was part of this situation. They sat him down and they decided whether or not to kill him financially or let him live. That was the decision to be made. And after uh, much uh, conferencing and consultation and debate, those banks essentially decided to let Donald Trump live because they decided his brand was worth more to them alive than dead and that they might actually have a chance. They might have actually have a chance to get some of their money back. I don't know whether or not they ever actually did or not because he doesn't pay his debts. But they decided to let him live. And they even gave him an allowance of something over $300,000 a month so he can continue to pretend to be rich so that his brand wouldn't suffer during this bankruptcy. That moment when he thought he was done and got saved because of who he is, because of his celebrity, because of his persona, probably in his mind because of his his survival instincts, I think has conditioned everything he has done in life since then, including his presidential campaign and, of course, winning the presidency when no one said he had a chance, winning the, the Republican nomination when nobody said he had a chance, has only further facilitated this belief that he is somehow blessed blessed by what or by whom, I don't know, because I don't believe he believes in God. But he believes that whatever he's involved in is blessed. And he believes that because he has seen some indication that this might be a miracle, and that because he's involved, it's got to work out. That in that's, that's consistent with his worldview. And while it's good to have hope, uh, it's also bad to provide false hope. And it certainly feels to me, based knowing nothing about whatever trials have been done so far. And look, I would love it if that ended up being true, that this was somehow a medical miracle. Uh, But based upon uh, my understanding of Trump, I don't trust him on that. 
at all. And we should not be expecting anything from that perspective. Now, one of the other elements of what's happened over the last few days is not just that Trump has completely embraced the alarmist view of what is happening with coronavirus. He is also now left of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is not going to win the Democratic presidential nomination, but he's essentially already president because Donald Trump has become at least Bernie Sanders, maybe to the left of Bernie Sanders. Correct. Uh, this is a guy who now, and I realize we're in a crisis and you got to do extraordinary things, but he's not only in favor of, of apparently giving every American at least $1,000, which is flat-out socialism. He wants to ban the companies from buying back their stock. He wants to ban, and essentially has effectively made it impossible already, for anybody to foreclose on anybody on their house or if or to kick them out of their apartment if they don't pay rent and and by the way as someone who owns a rental property so we're essentially telling people don't pay their rent what about the people who live on the rental income have we have we not thought about that i, I mean there's all sorts of ramifications uh, on this whole thing but all of it if it was proposed by barack obama would have had conservative members of the right-wing media uh, out with their pitchforks and tiki torches protesting at the the steps of the white house uh, because it would be seen as flat out socialism or communism with trump everyone's forced now to sit on their hands so right-wingers who would ordinarily be going wait a minute are we are we overreacting they can't do that because trump has embraced the overreaction and right-wingers are not even fighting for the basic concepts uh, of personal responsibility capitalism not setting bad precedents everyone other than basically me has totally lost all sense of their principles because no one is incentivized to stand up for their principles everyone is now and that's the theme of this podcast everyone is now invested in this narrative regardless of what the reality is and america is going to suffer for this for a very long time regardless of what the reality of coronavirus is and as far as what the the reality of coronavirus is look uh, i don't know when the, the the data is going to stabilize we are right now in a crisis of exploding data partially because of increasing testing it, it, we are not going to see under the best case scenario a stabilizing of that data for at least one or two weeks I don't know what's going to happen after that. Is the curve going to continue to go up as it has in Italy, or is it going to flatten uh, and, and then go down as it has in other countries? Nobody knows that. That's the million-dollar question. I still think there's a possibility we get the latter uh, scenario, which would be fantastic, except we've already created so much damage based upon the, the presumption that we're going to be like Italy or worse than Italy. Of course, it's important to point out we have 5.5 times the population of Italy, which is another factor that no one wants to to put in all of the these calculations when people are constantly comparing us to Italy. Uh, but but the reality here is the the damage has already been done. We're just trying to figure out how much it's going to be and how long it's going to take. And when we come back, I'll talk a little bit more about the political ramifications of all this. But first, here's an interview with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. 
Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or, or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of the, all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just You don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and, and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, 
they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher price product. And the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. So during this podcast, uh, we learned of, of new information regarding who has the coronavirus. And Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, somewhat ironically, since he's a doctor, although maybe that's part of why this happened, who knows, has become the first U.S. senator to test positive for coronavirus, although his spokesperson says he is feeling fine, is in, in quarantine. He's asystematic and was tested out of an abundance of caution due to his extensive travel and events. So it appears as if he's going to be okay and he's not aware of any direct contact he's had with any uh, infected person. Uh, so, which is another indication that the panic is going to continue because when famous people get this, uh, then no one feels safe. And uh, and understandably, people get more and more antsy and the fear of the unknown increases and the presumption that there's never going to be an end to this increases, even though, uh, though by all indications, Rand Paul is going to be perfectly fine. And that really is if, if there was one thing I wish we knew. Uh, and we don't know it partially because of incompetence by the Trump administration is how many people actually have this thing, because I, I just ask the, the alarmist to pick a lane. I, I am constantly told, well, John, uh, you, you can't go by the current numbers because we haven't tested enough. A lot more people have it. And I go, OK, I'm perfectly fine with that. I am perfectly fine with that. But then if that's the case, you must then change your perception of how dangerous this is and what the death rate is. Because if the number is, say, far higher than 27,000 as it currently uh, is, you still only have 350 deaths. Now, by the way, the number of deaths is going to go up. The number of deaths is going to go up pretty significantly in the next few days. I believe, assuming we're able to do the uh, Individual One podcast on Wednesday as is scheduled, I believe that by Wednesday or Thursday, certainly by Friday of next week, we're going to be over a 1,000 deaths in this country, and maybe more than that. And part of that is because of this lag in the statistics, because those are people who are dying who got this 
uh, probably well before all of these uh, protections and the shutdowns and the social distancing and everything else that hopefully is having some impact uh, better, considering all the price we're paying for it, is actually going to take effect. So we're going to see a lag in the data. The deaths are going to continue to go up. Uh, hopefully at some point it stabilizes, but no one knows. And anyone who tells you that they know in either direction is probably lying to you. But what we do know for sure, uh, and that's the theme of this podcast, that Donald Trump is not going to totally escape this. There is not going to be a narrative uh, a month or two from now of, wow, boy, that was just all a bunch of liberal baloney, regardless of what the reality is, regardless of what the damage is medically. And he's not going to be able to escape this from an economic standpoint. The economy is going to be a disaster. The stock market is going to go down further this week. I, I, I don't even want to guess how much it's going to go down on Monday. Uh, but because the panic is going to continue and because there's not going to be any end in sight, and even when the data finally stabilizes, because of that two-week or three-week lag, we're actually going to probably have already been past it if and when that happens. But the panic is going to continue because we're not going to have evidence of it. So all this is going to continue much longer under the best-case scenario than it needs to. None of that is good for Trump. Uh, now, there's still a scenario where he can be the the wartime president and he can be the king and he can use his powers to to focus uh, the resources of the government on the states he needs to win and that no one blames him for this because or at least none of no one who was going to vote for him blames him for this because obviously this was China's fault. He's forwarding that narrative. There's a poll out this week, which is I, I can't believe is true, that he has a 55 percent approval rating in his response to the coronavirus. It was a small uh, poll and it was several days ago that could dramatically change in the next few days i still believe he has an opportunity theoretically to be reelected, but the chances are continuing to go down so i'm going to put that number at 25 percent currently chances for donald trump to be reelected. things are going to get worse folks before they get better i don't know how long it's going to take and i don't i do not see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel almost no matter what uh, the scenarios are that come forward in the next few days uh, i'm still hopeful I'm still hopeful that this is not a medical catastrophe of historical proportions, but I am not as hopeful that we have not just done such damage to our country and uh, essentially to the world that we are never able to fully recover from this. Uh, on that very happy note, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. That's at individual the number one pod. And until hopefully next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, when we are if we are still allowed to to tape this podcast, which I'm hoping we are. Uh, please stay safe and try to stay sane. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.